If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29. Over the years, I've heard some crazy uh, wedding night stories. Uh, I know for one couple here, uh, actually their wedding night, when they got back to the hotel room, they popped open a bottle of champagne only to have the cork fly across the room and hit the fire alarm and set it off. <laughs> Literally a one in a million shot. Uh, but, but I still think my wife and I actually have one of the craziest stories from our wedding night. Uh, we, you know, we dated six and a half years. And uh, then when we got married uh, that evening, we went to a really nice hotel in Atlanta. And when we pulled up in the parking lot, we noticed that there was just a lot of commotion and activity going on there. Um, some seedy-looking characters were all around, lots of loud music, uh, yet this was a really nice hotel. Uh, anyway, we, we go inside, and I ask for a room, and the lady looks at me and says, I'm sorry, but um, you no longer have a reservation. I was like, what do you mean? Uh, we had one of those Seinfeld moments, like, you, you know, I made a reservation. You, you hold on to the reservation. <laughs> And uh, I said, I even confirmed the reservation just a few days ago. And uh, actually it was a guy and the guy said, I, I, I'm sorry, I realized that, um, but we gave away your room. I was like, well, why? And they said, well, a group came in and rented the entire hotel. It's like, who? I said, well, Cocaine Anonymous. I was like, oh, okay. That explains some things, but still you hold on to the reservation. And I said, it's our wedding night. And the person looks at me and just like, oh gosh. And I said, we've been dating six and a half years. We've waited six and a half years. <laughs> and now perspiration is just pouring down this, this, this man and he's typing furiously on his computer. I don't know what he's trying to find, but he says, can you, can you give me 30 minutes? And uh, I, I'm gonna, basically he gave us his room that was there. It, will, will that suffice? And I was like, a closet will suffice. I mean, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? And uh, so, but as crazy as, as our wedding night was, it is nothing compared to the story that we are about to read. Uh, at least when I woke up in the morning, uh, I was laying next to my wife. Uh, the same cannot be said of Jacob. Uh, since it is such a good story, we're actually going to read the whole thing, Genesis 29, and beginning in verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. 
Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him uh, his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For he said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he called, therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then, then she ceased bearing. This is the word of the Lord. If you would pray with me. Our Father, I ask that you would Use the words before us to stir our affections towards you, that we might love you more dearly, that we might depend upon you wholly. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. 
But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So in this story, you've got lying, obsession, love, deceit. You've got some shocking reveals. You've got some kissing cousins. Uh, I mean, this is better than any soap opera. It's better than any uh, PBS masterpiece theater. Uh, This has got absolutely everything. I'm surprised I haven't done a movie about this. Uh, Not like one of those Bible miniseries movies, uh, but like an actual movie about this because it has everything. Uh, I grew up hearing this story. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church and in our Sunday school, we, we loved going through Genesis and I can still remember the flannel graphs going through this. Yet I had no idea what the story was about. Um, it really wasn't until 25 years ago that I was given a cassette tape of a Tim Keller message on this uh, that I began to see the gospel implications of this text and it began opening up to me. And there's just a lot of gospel in this story. Uh, The story begins this way. Chapter 29 begins by saying, then Jacob went on his journey. Literally in Hebrew, uh, it's Jacob lifted up his heels. Um, And this is a way of saying there's there's a new spring in his step. Jacob feels lighter. And why shouldn't he? God has just appeared to him, a God who he has not heard from ever in 40 years, but God has appeared to him and made promises to him that he was going to guard him. He was going to keep him. He was going to be with him. He was going to bless him. And so he now has this lightness in his steps as he is anticipating this blessing from God. And he thinks, finally, finally, after 40 years, things are beginning to go my way in the right direction. However, like we saw last week, he still has this enormous hole in his heart. He still has a mess of a life, and these things don't get fixed in a moment. They take time. And so what we're going to see is now that God has made promises to him, God is going to treat him like one of his children, which means he's going to begin to discipline him. He's going to discipline him like a child. And the Lord is going to use Laban to do that. Uh, Rebecca sent Jacob to her brother Laban, Laban, and she was probably thinking he'd be there for a month or maybe two, but Jacob is going to end up being there for 20 hard, long years, all part of the Lord disciplining him and changing his character. Uh, When Jacob arrives in this place, uh, we can see that loneliness that's there in his heart, and it's actually gotten worse through the journey. Uh, which is understandable because he has been traveling 500 miles on foot all alone. And so it has been a lonely, long journey. And he's had to leave the one person who loved him, his mother. He had to leave her behind. But we see early on that his mother still dominates all of his thoughts. Uh, Look at verse 10 again. You might have noticed this as we were reading. It's, it's kind of unusually worded here. It says, Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob's mother is mentioned three times. Three times in one sentence here. 
Uh, you, you can understand maybe mentioning his mother once, uh, but mentioning his mother three times in one sentence here, uh, this is the author's way of letting us know that every time Jacob sees Rachel, he's thinking about his mom. He's thinking about the loneliness he now is experiencing because he has left the love of his mother. And then we, we see how, how crazy he falls head over heels to Rachel the moment he meets her. I mean, look at what happens. He has never met this woman, and yet he goes crazy over her. He does, you know, right at the start, what those three loser shepherds, you know, couldn't do. You know, they're all standing around by the well, and none of them can move the stone from the well. Jacob sees Rachel, and it's like all of a sudden his blood gets flowing. And Jacob just goes over there, and he like moves this entire enormous stone by himself. Um, he probably took his shirt off to do it. I mean, he is, he is trying to impress this woman. Uh, he, he had to be a beast of a man to do this. But once again, his, his blood was flowing the moment he saw Rachel. And, and then after he shows off his muscles to her uh, to try to impress her, Notice what he does. He goes up and he kisses her and then immediately breaks down crying. Um, and you don't have to be a psychologist to know that there's issues. Like he has got, he's got some issues he's working through here. Uh, it's also his first cousin that he happens to be kissing and falling in love with. And so there's issues there as well. Um, not so much for us here in Alabama, but, but here, you know, I know. It's uh, interestingly, you know, the first wedding I ever did, I, I, I married my sister. I did her ceremony and it was right after I moved to Alabama and everybody said, so you moved to Alabama and married your sister? It's like, yes, yes. Um, but apparently being a first cousin was a turn on in this day. It just, it made her hotter in Jacob's eyes. And so he, he's going head over heel when he just sees her. I mean, crazy emotions. But probably the, the one thing that we see that really lets us know that he is not thinking rationally is when he says how much he will pay in order for her to, or to be um, her husband. When he sees Rachel, he says, I'm willing to pay for her. And he tells Laban that he will work seven years in order to have her hand in marriage. Seven years. Now, as I'm sure most of you are familiar with Babylonian times, <laughs> and uh, if you were to marry a woman in Babylonian times, you did have to pay a bridal price, and it was typically 20 to 30 shekels. That's all it was, 20 to 30 shekels. Actually, Deuteronomy 22 puts a limit as to how much you were allowed to give as a bridal price. No one was allowed to give more than 50 shekels. Um, and, and no one even came close to giving 50 shekels. That would be something, that would be a royal price, something you would pay for a princess, but usually you paid about 20 shekels. Now, a shekel and a half is what you received for one month's work. So do the math here. When you do the math, Jacob is offering over 120 shekels for Rachel. That's six to seven times more than the asking price. It's three and a half times more than the absolute highest price you would ever pay, even for royalty. So what we see here is he's, he's not negotiating. He is going over the top to make sure Rachel is his. This is an obsession that we see. Jacob still has this enormous hole in his heart. And then comes Rachel. 
who's described as beautiful in form and appearance. In other words, she was a knockout. I mean, she had a beautiful face and she had a beautiful body. And Jacob sees it and he fixates on her. He says, that's what I need. I need one of those. And if I get one of those, I'm complete in my life. I will finally be happy. I will finally be blessed. And I have seen a lot of Jacobs in my life do this. Men who look to romantic relationships to somehow save them. Men who are drowning in their loneliness. And along comes a five foot three blonde life preserver. And they go and they reach out and hold on to her for everything to keep from drowning. And women do the same thing. It's not a five foot three blonde. It might be taller, might be stronger, but they see a man and they're like life preserver. Hold on, keep me from drowning, save me. I've seen this over and over. Jacob, when he says he is willing to work seven years for Laban's daughter, Laban knows in that moment, I've got him. I've got him. His wheels begin turning in his head right away as that, how can I use this to deceive him? How can I use this for my gain? Uh, remember, Laban is Rebekah's brother. And if you remember Rebekah, well, she's the one who came up with the deceit and how to deceive Isaac and how to deceive Esau. It was her who came up with this elaborate scheme to do all of this. Now we're beginning to see where she probably learned it all from. Deceit ran in the family. But Laban, Laban's the master of deceit. And so when he hears and he sees everything that, that Jacob is ready to do, he knows I've got him and I can use this. And notice how carefully Laban words his response to Jacob's request. He doesn't actually ever promise to give Rachel in marriage to Jacob. Uh, look at verse 19 and see how careful he is with his words. He says, well, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. He doesn't say yes, and he also never says Rachel. He's being very intentional with this. If you actually look at the statement, it's a pretty meaningless, vague statement in and of itself. And what we see is Laban is already planning a future deceit. He's parsing his words right here carefully, knowing that Jacob is going to hear what Jacob wants to hear. And Jacob has fixated himself onto Rachel and he has fallen under her spell. And so he does hear what he wants to hear. So he works for seven years and we read this little sweet thing that, you know, the seven years were seemed like just a few days because of his love for her. Um, it is sweet, uh, but it also shows his absolute obsession with her. He is a man obsessed. After he has finished seven years, he goes to Laban and, uh, Let's read what he says. It's in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Now, even the oldest Jewish commentaries, they all remark on how vulgar this statement is. This is an extremely vulgar statement. Jacob basically says this, I've paid the price. Give me my wife so that I can have sex with her. It's, it's a very 
blunt, vulgar phrase that he uses there. Give her to me so I can have sex with her. For the last seven years, he has been placing all of his hopes and all of his dreams on this one night. Poor woman. Can you imagine how poor wife here? No one can meet up to those expectations. No one was meant to meet those expectations. So the wedding festivities, they begin. And uh, Laban dresses up Leah instead of Rachel in order to get uh, Leah married. Now, Leah would have been veiled here, so you wouldn't have been able to see her. Uh, there would have been lots of drinking at, at, at these weddings, um, unlike, you know, today's weddings. Uh, you know, lots and lots of drinking here. Uh, it would have been dark. And so after celebrating um, for an entire day, Jacob likely, likely goes back to his tent in the dark drunk. And he sleeps with who he thinks is Rachel, but instead it's Leah. But he doesn't find this out until he wakes up the next morning, probably with a hangover. And then when he sees that, it's, it gets worse. Now, notice the poetic justice here. Jacob, if you remember, he gave a feast for his dad, and then he dressed up like another in order to deceive him. And now Jacob falls victim to the exact same scam. And what a shock Jacob gets in the morning. I mean, what a shock. Uh, Derek Kidner, it's, my, it's a small commentary. He wrote a small commentary, but it's my favorite. Uh, and he says that that phrase, behold, it was Leah, he says, it is the very embodiment of anticlimax. And it's, and it's one that we've all experienced in our lives at some point where we've all had these behold, it's Leah moments in which we thought we went to bed with a Rachel, but we woke up with a Leah. We, we've all had those moments in which we were certain that this one thing was going to completely fulfill us, but it turned into something else. It turned into a Leah. So let me ask you, what is your Rachel? What is it? What are you fixating on in order to fill that hole that you have in your life? Who are you counting on to be blessed? Who is the one you're going to to give you an identity? What are you hoping to find your rest in? This story, what it's really about is idolatry. It's about idolatry which is nothing more than, than looking to a good thing, but turning it into an ultimate thing. That's what an idol is. Often it's a good thing, but you're looking to it as an ultimate thing. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not ultimate. It's not meant to bear the weight of all of our hopes, of all of our expectations. Uh, you've heard me say from time to time that um, even the best marriages have a hint of sadness in them. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, bad marriages, which might have more than just a hint, um, but like even really, really good marriages still have a hint of sadness to them. Um, marriages in which there's deep mutual love and respect um, still can't fulfill everything. Uh, my wife and I, we have a, a relationship that has deep affection um, and respect towards one another. We've actually been dating uh, for over 30 years. Um, we've been together. Um, I mean, we started dating when she was 15 and I was 16. And we know each other pretty well. 
we love each other now more than we did when we were 15 and 16, for sure. She knows me better than anyone on this planet, but she will never really know me. She'll never really know all of my inner emotions, all of my inner thoughts. I'm not even sure if I know those things about me. And she can't, and I can't expect her to, because marriage was not meant to bear that weight. It was never meant to fill up that hole that I have in my heart. My wife is not a life preserver in which I'm to cling to to keep from drowning in a sea of loneliness. My wife cannot save me. And if I put that expectation and burden on her, not only is it incredibly unfair and hurtful to her, but it also makes things pretty miserable to me because I will be so frustrated and I'll be so disappointed in our marriage. And the truth is this, and we all know this, God created us with a much deeper longing than anything or any person in this world could ever fulfill. We were meant for God. Uh, Just like marriage cannot fill that hole in my heart, parenting can't fill that hole in my heart. And I love my kids. Uh, My kids bring me so much joy. Uh, They bring uh, a lot of life into my life. Uh, And I have three daughters and I'm a girl daddy through and through. I can't imagine uh, having boys. I, I, I love my daughters. But I would say even being a dad to my daughters, there's a hint of sadness in there. Just like there's a hint of sadness with anything beautiful or enjoyable you experience, the sadness is this, it can't last forever. It won't last forever. Already my children are growing up way faster than I want. Uh, My oldest child will leave to go off to college in just over a year. I'm not ready for that. Um, In my mind, I want them to just stay children, and I just want to forever be holding them in my lap, but that's fading. So there's a hint of sadness even in my parenting. Even with the best that the world has to give, there's going to be sadness in it because it can't ever last. Think of it this way. You have this this eternal hole in your heart that can only be filled with an eternal love. No one can bless us like God. My wife, um, whenever she says goodbye to Caroline, who is our oldest, every morning, uh, Caroline drives down to Briarwood High School. And as she is leaving um, the house, the last thing Lauren always says to her, her is, Caroline, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Uh, And then Caroline goes. And the, the reason Lauren says this is because if you can remember, if you can remember that you are a child of God and that you are fully blessed by God, you will not go looking for the blessing in the arms of another. And you will not go looking for the blessing in any other thing. And your identity is rock solid on the one who created you. No one can bless you like God. Jacob should have remembered who he was. God had made a covenant with him. He was a child of God, but he didn't remember who he was. Once again, who is the Rachel in your life? Usually I found that there's many. There's not just one. There's many Rachels. 
Uh, and you always think that once you get that Rachel, you're going to be happy. Once you uh, finally achieve your ideal weight, you'll be happy. You know, after the Lenten season of fasting, conveniently right before bathing suit season, I, I know how you guys think, all right? And so, so you, you finish up your fast and you get to your ideal weight and you're like, finally, finally, I've achieved this goal. But you're not satisfied. You're not satisfied if you get that perfect job. You're never satisfied. You, you always wake up with Leah, always. For some of you, you thought that when you were in school, if you could just make it to the next semester, then it'd finally be easy. How'd that work out for you? Like I could just make it to the next semester. Every student is always living to just make it to the next semester. But that actually does prepare you for life because that's what you do for the rest of your life. You're trying to make it to the next season. Oh, once, once I could just get married, then I'll be happy. And then once you're married, once I could finally get out of my apartment and into a actual home, then I'll be much better. Once I can finally get that promotion and maybe get a little bit more money, things will be easier. Once I can finally have kids, well, then I'll, I'll be that family. I'll be, you know, that place where I always dreamed when I was little and I looked forward to my life. You know, the, the, the husband, the wife, the kids, two and a half kids, the dogs, the house, I'll have all of that. Then I'll finally be happy. But then it's always the next season. What am I going to do about my kids' schooling? I got to be sure I get in a good school district. It goes on and on and on. You're always looking for rest. And you always think that when you, you grab hold of this, I got Rachel. It's never Rachel. It's Leah. We always wake up with Leah. That statement, behold, it was Leah, is a summary of what most of us have experienced for most of our lives. The thing is, there is no relationship, there is no person that can ever satisfy our deepest desires. All right, back to this story. Uh, once again, as crazy as my wedding night was, I still woke up next to Lauren. Jacob wakes up and he is not next to who he thought was his wife. Uh, he sees Leah and he is furious. I mean, he rushes out of his tent. He beelines it towards Laban and he yells at Laban. What have you done? Why did you deceive me? Now, Laban has known this moment was coming. I mean, of course, he knew this moment was coming. It's not like he thought way up, uh, Jacob would wake up and be like, what a pleasant surprise. Like he, he knew, <laughs> he knew there's gonna be some serious anger coming his way. And he has had, had, he's had seven years to think of the perfect response for when Jacob does. And when he gives his reply to Jacob, it hits Jacob like a truck. Uh, look at verse 26. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Translation. I don't know where you come from, but here we put the older before the younger. And Jacob melts. Notice he doesn't offer any resistance. He doesn't say another word. He goes from absolute fury, ready to kill the man, to 
utter defeat after this. Because all he could think of is, yes, how he one time dressed up as another in order to receive the blessing of his older brother. So now he gets to reap what he sows. God is beginning to discipline his child here. He's disciplining Jacob. Uh, Laban says, hey, finish up the week of wedding festivities. A, A wedding in this day would typically last a week. And then you can marry Rachel if you promise to work for me another seven years. And he knows he has them. Now, this has got to be the worst week of Jacob's life. Also the worst week, really, of Leah's life. I mean, could you imagine being Leah in this spot? Who on your honeymoon, all, I mean, you know this, your husband is only counting down the days till he gets to be with another woman. That's how Leah spent her honeymoon here. At the end of the week, it's exactly what Jacob did. He married Rachel. And we read that comment, he loved Rachel more than Leah. I mean, as you hear this story, doesn't part of you just want to say, it shouldn't have been that way, Jacob. Can't you see Leah? Like Leah seems to be his soulmate in a sense. We would use that terminology. He and Leah seem to belong together because they are so much alike. Leah longed to be loved, yet she always lived in the shadow of her sister. Jacob longed to be loved, but he always lived in the shadow of his brother Esau. Really, they were a great match for one another. Uh, We don't know that much about Leah. We're only given a couple of details here. First, we know her name, Leah. Uh, Her name in Hebrew means cow, all right? (laughs) Cow or weary. Uh, you can try to spin this however you want. It's not a term of endearment. Uh, it, it, it's just like now, if you were to name a child cow, uh, it, it was the same back then. It, it's not really an affectionate term. And so she was, for some reason, named cow. Verse 17, uh, we also read that her eyes were weak. I, I haven't really read any scholar that knows for sure what this means. It could have possibly been describing some kind of physical defect. um, Or it could just be a way of saying she wasn't beautiful. Or it could be a way of just saying she didn't have that spark in her eyes. She was weary. She was kind of lifeless. Um, So she wasn't an attractive person. We know that. Kind of a lifeless, unattractive person. The complete opposite of her younger sister, who, of course, was beautiful and could marry absolutely anyone she wanted. She could have her pick. But for Leah, the only way that she could get married was if her dad got the groom drunk and covered over her face and deceived him into marrying her. Think about that. That's the only way Leah could get married. And Leah is so desperate for love, she goes along with it. She is so desperate to fill that hole in her heart, she goes along with it. 
I mean, just like Jacob, if, if you remember, he, he goes through all of this deceit just to have for one time his dad hold him, his head, look into his eyes with deep affection and love and bless him, even though he knows he's going to be found out. He goes through with it anyway. Leah knows this will be discovered, but she just wants that one night. And how else is she going to get married? And so she goes through with it. So she has a hole in her heart just like Jacob. And she tried to fill it through marriage. After she got married, she tried to fill it with kids. I'll look at verses 31 and 32. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So she's hated, which is a strong word there. But the Lord does open her womb, and so she can have kids. So she has a child named Reuben. She names the child Reuben because it means he sees. And of course, she's saying that God has seen her in her predicament, but she is also naming her child Reuben because she wants her husband to see her. She thinks, now that I've had this kid, I will no longer be invisible to my husband. He's actually going to notice me and not just notice Rachel. She could walk into a room and now she could finally be the object of his love and his affection. Do you see what she is doing in this? Do you see what she's doing? She's fixing now all of her hope and all of her happiness and having this blessed life on her ability to have kids and to make Jacob notice her. She's using kids to once again just try to get the affection of her husband. She names her next child Simeon, which means he hears. Because, yes, the Lord has heard her. She's also hoping now her husband will hear her. Her third child she names Levi. Uh, Levi means attached or hold on to. Because she thinks... Finally, I've been the perfect wife. I've been the perfect parent. I've given this man three sons. Finally, he will hold on to me. Finally, he will embrace me and give me the affection I deserve. That's what she's hoping for. And all the while she's doing this, she's praying. She's thanking God for these things. She's praying for children. Uh, and so she's doing what a lot of us in this room are guilty of doing, in which we have a relationship with the Lord we do pray to him, but what we pray for is that God would give us something else that we could have satisfaction in other than him. We pray for idols. How much of our prayer life is essentially, God, give me this to fill this hole in my heart. Give me this job. Give me this house. Give me this spouse. Give this to me to fill this heart. But God does not give out idols because he knows that we'll never fill the hole in our hearts. Only he can satisfy. He wants to give something of infinite more value. He wants to give himself. Can you imagine how tortured Leah's soul is as this keeps happening? And each time she, she has these hopes, this time he's going he's to 
see me. This time he's going to embrace me. This time he's going to, he's going to love me and notice me. And each time it fails and it is settling in on her that no matter what she did, no matter how many sons she gave this man, she would always play second fiddle to Rachel. I, I can't imagine a worse form of torture to know that you would never be loved no matter what you did, but your sister always would be. Now, notice what happens here. Because God begins to change her heart. He begins disciplining her through this. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing She makes no reference to her husband in the naming of this child. There's no reference to Jacob at all. Instead, she names her son Judah, which means praise, praise. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And what we see here is Leah is no longer seeking her satisfaction in Jacob, but she's finally seeking her satisfaction in the Lord. She's finally turning to the Lord to fill that hole in her heart. And so she names her final son Praise. And after she has uh, Judah, she ceases bearing children, meaning she no longer sought to find her significance through having kids because she has found her significance in the worshiping of the Lord. And then there's something even more profound that happens here. Uh, If you read through the first chapter of Matthew, you're going to find the genealogy of Jesus. And you're going to find the name Judah there. The Messianic line does not come through Rachel. It comes through Leah. And it doesn't come through Leah's first three sons. The Messianic line is going to come through Judah. Jesus is descended from Judah. Because Jesus is not like the Rachels of this world. Isaiah 53 says that, he had no beauty that we should look at him. It says that he was rejected by men. That he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Jesus is like Leah. And he works through the Leahs of this world. He works through those who are broken, those who are hurting, those whom the world has forgotten or despises. And then he makes those Leahs Beautiful. Uh, hear me, I don't don't know when you read this story and you listen to it, who you identify with, but I'm imagining a lot of you identify with Leah and that you've longed to be like Rachel your whole life. (laughs) You've longed for the beauty. You've longed for everybody to be attracted to you. Uh, You've longed to be looked at like you could do no wrong and for everybody just showering affection on you without even having to work for it. If that's you, if you relate to Leah here, You need to hear this. God does not love things or is attracted to things because he finds them beautiful. God does not find anything beautiful. No, God's love is what makes things beautiful. And God loves you. He is attracted to you and he loves you. And it is through that love and attraction that you are made beautiful. You are transformed into something of infinite worth and of infinite beauty. 
And that's really what this story is about. This story is an invitation to all the Jacobs and all the Leahs of the world for us to come to Jesus with our brokenness, with our broken souls, and ask him to make them whole. Jesus, who will take all of our ugliness and will make us beautiful through his love. There's an invitation here for us. And I plead with you to take Jesus up on this invitation. The love that you have been looking for your entire life will not be found in the arms of another person or in the arms of any other thing. It can only be found in the arms of Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do love you, but not nearly enough. We still run after idols. And Father, I pray that in the next few moments through your spirit, you would expose our idolatry and the things that we have turned to that cannot satisfy. And Lord, I pray that um, we would see you for who you are as the one of infinite worth and the only one who could bless us. We would turn to you and hold on to you with everything. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us and through your love, turning us into something beautiful. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.